Okay, are you guys ready to get started? Because I don't have much time. You got a Bible? You got a phone? You got eyes? Because they'll be on the screen too. Jonah, chapter three. Um, so glad you're here. Um, if you're new to this church, we're in this series, a four-week series on the sign of Jonah. And we're just basically going through the story of Jonah. And I get to pick up where Dan left off. Dan started um, our series the last two weeks, did an incredible job of unpacking kind of the beginning of the story. Um, and there's some, some crazy stuff in it, um, and we'll get into. Um, a few years ago, I uh, was really frustrated with um, uh, a couple pastors that I knew. Um, that were uh, the way they were doing things and the way they were saying things. And, and, and I, was, I was sharing this with a mentor I had at seminary and I was just venting and frustrated and just bitter. And uh, he said to me, he said to me, something I'll never forget, he said to me, let me help you grow up a little. <laughs> no, he said that to me and I'm like, oh man, and, um, and he was just, he went through this thing and he's like, listen, he goes, you don't grow through agreement. You don't grow through uh, sitting and listening to something that you agree with. You're like, mm, yes, that's good. That's, I agree with that. We actually, we actually grow through, uh, through tough things, through wrestling, uh, through being confronted with things in our life that we may not think are actually true, but they are. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like a lot of times we don't like, we like to avoid uncomfortable situations. We like to avoid uncomfortable places in the Bible. And we like to avoid uncomfortable uh, uh, messages about the Bible. But if we're gonna grow, if we're really gonna be changed and transformed, we have to be challenged. And that's kind of partly why we love leaning into the faith walking work so much because it challenges us. But we're here together this morning, and sometimes in a gathering like this, we can be frustrated. And, and, and the re reality is, is Scripture, uh, the, the Bible, is an alternative story to the stories that you and me adopt and live out in our everyday life. Like, there are so many different narratives and stories in our lives that affect us, and we begin to live those out. Um, I was just talking to someone about that this morning, that we get kind of sucked into how this world operates and how this world works. And what scripture does is it presents an alternative story and sometimes we don't like it. And sometimes we wrestle like the kid next door. It is sometimes, <laughs> he doesn't like that story. But like, here's the thing, Jonah a lot of times this book, and, and Dan and I talked a while back as we were planning this out, um, and Dan's like, I want to talk on Jonah. I, wanna, I think we should lean into this book. And I'm like, yeah, but as long as we don't teach it, like sometimes it gets taught. And the reason why I say that is some people make Jonah out to be the hero. Like Jonah's this amazing missionary hero guy. Um, and, and he's not the hero. God's the hero. And so we're gonna get into this, but Jonah, um, and we know he's a prophet. Dan shared about that last week, I mean the week before. He's a prophet. Um, he's really involved in Israel, in the affairs of Israel, in the kings, um, and he's had some success. I mean, we read in Jonah chapter, uh, sorry, in 2 Kings, it actually has the history of what's going on during this time. 
Um, it says that he was one who restored the boundaries of Israel. This isn't Jonah, this is the king at the time. From Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah. See, Jonah was involved in a lot of things, and he had prophesied about restoring the boundaries, and this king did. So Jonah has seen some success as a prophet. I mean, he knows what's happening in the world. He knows the geopolitical climate, all the things that are going on. And in chapter one, Jonah was commanded by God to go to Nineveh. You remember this from two weeks ago? And he was supposed to cry out against the great city of Nineveh. And instead of traveling to Nineveh, instead of traveling to this, this corner of the world that's in Iraq, he gets on a boat and goes to Spain. Right? I mean, I don't know if you're into geography, but that's the exact opposite direction. In fact, Tarshish in Spain is the last thing on the map in the ancient world, meaning back then they believed that the earth wasn't round, that it was flat, and it's, if you kept going, you would what? Fall off. Jonah's like, I'm gonna go to the edge of the map. I'm getting as far away from this situation as I can, all right? And nobody else in this room has done that before, right? I mean, you haven't felt like, oh man, I gotta get out of this situation. I gotta avoid how difficult this is. This is gonna cost too much of me. Um, and so there's this city, um, pretty brutal city, uh, and we know that because of, of some writings um, that said uh, they're pretty brutal. Uh, we, we've uncovered, we, like me and some guys, no, what, some, some archaeologists have uncovered some writings about uh, this, this nation, uh, the Assyrians. And, and Jonah's like, I don't have anything to do with them. I don't want to have anything to do with him. He gets on this boat. He takes off. Um, and and, and in, in, this, in this story, it says he goes down to Joppa, which is a geographical thing. And Dan mentioned this whole progression of down into the ship. Uh, and then he goes down into the sea. And then he goes down into the fish. And it's just this idea of, of downward progression for Jonah. Like he is disobeying God. And then all of that, he's just going down. And then there's this fish, and then there's some poetry, and then Jonah is, we talked about last week, he's resurrected almost. I mean, he's just almost like he's back from the dead. I mean, he's just, he should have been dead. And resurrection is going to be the springboard into what he does next. And so verse one of chapter three, it says this, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, okay? It's like, okay, let's, let's try this again, <laughs> Right, And he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim its message I give to you. And, and Dan talked a little bit about Nineveh. Nineveh is this huge city. Um, it's the biggest, baddest, cruelest, most in charge city of the known world of the time. I mean, it is the joint you, you avoided if you were a, an Israelite. It was filled with injustice and violence. Generation after generation of Israelites knew about this, this city, about these people. These people had laid siege to them. They had taken them into captivity. They had fought them. They were the arch enemy of Israel for generations. Heavy taxes, 
They were a vassal state at times. And, and like I said, we've unearthed some, some writings about how brutal they were. Listen to these. This is uh, from, the, from the work of the kings. It says this. This is one of the, the kings, Shalmaneser II. It says, a pyramid of heads I reared in front of the city. Their youths and their maidens I burned up in the flames. Sounds like a pretty nice place, right? A little... Southwest getaway. Uh, Sennacherib. Remember Sennacherib from 2 Chronicles? Probably not. But if you read 2 Chronicles, you'll know what I'm talking about. I cut their throats like lambs. I cut their precious lives as one cuts a string. Like many waters of a storm, I made the contents of their gullets and entrails run down upon the wide earth. Their hands I cut off. Pretty brutal joint, pretty violent place. It sounds like they just found ways to be more violent. Listen to this. This is how they treated conquered leaders. I flayed him. His skin I spread upon the wall of the city. I pierced his chin with a keen hand dagger. Through his jaw I passed a rope, put a dog chain upon him, and made him occupy a kennel. This is a brutal, violent, ruthless people. And part of the goal behind the kings and how they did this and why they did this, like that guy, is to make known that they were brutal and ruthless, to keep their enemies in fear. And so all that to say that Jonah was not really, if you're Jonah, you really don't want to plant a church in Nineveh. It's not like, man, that's going to be a good spot. And so they did this to intimidate other nations. And, 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 and the reality is if anybody didn't deserve mercy in the eyes of someone in Israel, it was Nineveh. They didn't deserve mercy at all. And so this is what makes the next part of this story so surprising and astounding. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, and this was his whole message, as far as we know, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Let me just ask you a question. Let me just gonna throw some questions out here. And you don't have to say it out loud if you want, but like, is anything weird about this to you? Does this strike you as weird at all? I mean, that his whole message is eight words, four words in Hebrew, eight words in English. I'll read it again. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What, what's missing? Anybody? Just throw it out. Anything missing? What's that? He doesn't even say what they got to do to not be overthrown, right? I mean, there's no why. Hey, what, why what's going on? Why, what do we do, right? Um, there's no, here's what you do to get out of it. Um, there's no, who's going to destroy us? Like, they probably didn't have a whole lot of fear that anybody was going to destroy them. So there's like a lot missing. And I find it interesting that Jonah seems, well, to me, he seems to be doing the bare minimum to let them know what's up. 
Like he's following God, he's, he's saying, okay God, I'm gonna go, but I'm not gonna put everything into this. It just seems to me, I might be wrong. And, and, and some people try to read this, they read this and they give Jonah a whole lot more credit. And I think he's just kind of basically mailing it in a little bit. I think he's just saying what he just needs to say. But here's the cool part. It, it, in verse five, it says, the Ninevites believed God. It doesn't say they believed Jonah. It says they believed God. And Jonah announced what God was gonna do and this whole city uh, this whole city that most of us would write off, Jonah had written off, the Israelites don't care about. In fact, they were like rooting for the exact opposite of what was happening to happen. And, and, and all these people that would probably do a whole lot of harm to Israel, and they were an immoral and a violent people, and Jonah gives, goes in and shares this warning with them, and they respond like, like that. It's a... It, in contrast that to what's happening in Israel right now, actually, this is exactly what's happening in Israel right now when Jonah is going to Nineveh. We see this in 2 Kings. I mean, this, right around this generation, this is when Jonah lived. It says this, in the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And did not turn away from the, any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. So there's this idea that all of Israel is doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And if you fast forward to verse 26, it says, The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering, and there was no one to help them. So there's this idea that Israel is engaged in, in the same kind of idolatry and mess as everybody else all their neighbors are involved in and they're struggling and they're hurting and they're suffering. And in contrast to that, the people of Nineveh repent. People of Nineveh get eight words, four words in Hebrew. And they're like, oh, we gotta do something about our lives. We gotta change things. And here's what they do. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And this is a very ancient Near East way of mourning, okay? This is what you would do if you were in mourning. And it was kind of cross-cultural. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, here's what I find interesting. A fast was proclaimed even before the king found out about this. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is, again, a universal sign of mourning. And it's like he doesn't just believe a little bit. It's not like he's like, okay, that's great, and he fills out like some sort of a church card, you know, and passes it in. Like, like this was like his whole thing. He believes as, as a king, to rip off your royal robes is a sign of deep humility. And, and he decrees this proclamation. He says, this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. I mean, this is like hitting everybody. I mean, it's like you don't even feed the cows. 
do not even feed the cows or the sheep. And I'm like, what is the poor deal with the cows? I mean, it seems kind of mean. But what's happening here is, is the king is actually saying, no, we have to do everything we can in our power to humble ourselves. And that extends to, well, everything. Everything. The whole city. And this is how you know that God, the God of Jonah has penetrated and pierced the hearts of the people. Because everything was on the table. I mean, this is a pagan king issuing royal decrees of, new, of a new way to live, of new justice because of what has fallen on his heart. In verse nine, it says they believed, um, they had this like, well, let me read it here. Verse nine, it says, this is the king. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. God may yet relent. It reminds me of the story of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. And it's this story where this woman comes up to him and she says, Master, would you, would you heal me? Would you help me? Would you help me? He's just crying out to him. And he says, woman, it's not right for me to take from the children what's, what's the children, what is the children's and give it to the dogs. And it's this, this phrase about giving scraps, like first to the people of Israel, then to everybody else. And you know what she says? She says, you know what? Even the dogs feed off the crumbs from the table. And Jesus was amazed by her faith. And he healed her. And the king must have said, we are unworthy, but maybe if we repent, maybe if we humble ourselves, and maybe, if he, maybe God will give us uh, mercy, maybe he'll rescue us from calamity. And it says in verse 10, when God saw that they, they did and how they, return, how they turned from their evil ways, it says he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he threatened. You know what's interesting about that word, he relented? It's the same word for he repented. But we're not really comfortable with that word because God's not supposed to repent, Right? I mean, that's literally the same word in Hebrew. But it kind of messes with our theology a little bit. So we change it to relent. I'm just gonna leave you with that one. See, here's the thing, as I kind of close this down. It's common, commonly said in Christianity that, that Christianity is like the supreme religion of grace. And we're really good at grace, that we understand grace. I mean, it's true. I mean, in the sense of the fact that we sing about grace and we write poems about grace and we name our churches after grace and we name our kids after grace and we, we like grace. We say grace. But usually after gatherings like this, we, it's not really on our lips much. It's not like part of our lives as much as we really think it is. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Philip Yancey, and he points out that part of our problem is, that the, is, is really the nature of grace itself. Like if you really think about grace, we're not as cool with it as we think we are. We struggle with it, if we're really honest. Because grace is hard to accept. 
It's hard to accept, it's hard to believe, and it's hard to receive. All three of those things are hard. And see, when we see God's love in action, we see God's love spare uh, Jonah, you know, um, and, and, that's a, and that's a beautiful thing, and we love that. Um, and I'm not trying to tell you, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want, you know, this this idea of like grace is kind of like a, it's like my roofing guys that come around, right? Like the people that want to put a new roof on my house because we got a hail damage and they're all showing up at my house and they're like, bro, I'm just, I'm not trying to sell you anything. Like you're trying to sell me a new roof is what you're trying to, no, no, yes you are actually, you know? And so sometimes we think grace has this weird kind of bait and switch to it. Um, and, and Yancey goes on to say that grace shocks us in what it offers. Check out this quote from Yancey. He says, it is truly not of this world. He's talking about grace. It frightens us with what it does for outsiders. Grace teaches us that God does for others what we would never do for them. We would save the not so bad. It says God starts with prostitutes and then works down from there. Grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. It is given to those who don't deserve it, barely recognize it, and hardly appreciate it. And here's Jonah. And he's got to go to Nineveh. And as I ponder this, a thought hit me in a very powerful way. God is more gracious than I am. I know that's a shocking thing for all of you to hear. Because he saves people I wouldn't save if I were God. He rescues people I wouldn't rescue if I were his, in his shoes. He blesses people I wouldn't bless. He uses people in service that I just look at and go, why? And the Bible says, and we just finished a series on this, that, that God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. And that's really good news. And you know what's really good news? For people that I don't think deserve it. Right? I mean, Dan brought this up uh, last week. It, it, this is Matthew chapter 12. This is this beautiful picture of the religious people of the time and their feelings on this. It says, then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, they're talking to Jesus, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. I love how just point. Everybody's just like, I love Jesus. He's so cool. Um, like, he's pretty brutal. But none of you will, none will be given uh, it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fist, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, listen to this, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. What do we learn from the people in our lives and in our worlds that we don't think deserve grace? Well, we learn that they do, they are offered grace and they will stand up and point the finger at us. And there's implications about this. Think about this story. Think about the context of this story. 
The story is about God, and we can see it real clearly. I mean, the fish is only mentioned four times, and so if you get wrapped up around the axle about those fish, did it really happen? That's not the point of the story, <laughs> okay? The point of the story is not the city, which is mentioned nine times, and it's not even, like I said, it's not even Jonah. It's not even Jonah as the hero. The point of the story is who God is. And so, there, where is there, let me just ask, where has there ever been a story like this? I mean, think about it. This is an oral history story spoken and heard, and it's meant for the people of Israel, okay? Because they know Jonah, and they know Nineveh, and they know their situation, and this is a story aimed at the teaching, at, at teaching one nation, okay, to root for the salvation and the rescue of another nation that has been cruel to them. <laughs> Where do you ever hear that story? Our politicians don't tell us stories like that. The news doesn't tell a story that's like that. Think about it. Where do you hear a story like that? What kind of God would steer his followers towards something so impossible? Well, the kind of God who is compassionate and mercy and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving. See, we're so much like Jonah in this story. And I just want to tell you this right now. There is a boat leaving for Tarshish all the time in your life. It's like geared up and ready to go every moment. And you can choose that journey. You can choose that path that says, I'm going to be disobedient. I'm going to, I'm going to root against God doing something in these people's lives. And we're very much like Jonah. All of us are a little like Jonah, and a whole lot of us are a lot like Jonah. And we need grace. And not just grace, we need really outrageous grace grace for how we do. Because as it turns out, God is orchestrating rescue in the lives of people. People that we don't agree with, people we have strong opinions about, people we've, that have been cruel to us in our lives. I mean, you just span the, the past in your life uh, people who have gone such a, such a long road away from God. God is orchestrating something in them. And I'm gonna close with a quick story and then we're gonna be done. A few weeks ago, uh, a number of us were camping up in Guernsey. And um, we, uh, you know, camping is vacation for us. We're just chilling, hanging out. We're cruising behind the boat, doing stupid things, um, and on the last night we were there, we met a, a, a young lady named Katie. Um, and it was just really interesting how we met her. We didn't plan on meeting Katie, but what, we met Katie out in the middle of the lake at night. Um, we weren't supposed to be out in the middle of the lake at night. It's illegal. But like a good pastor, we decided, like, we, like, we're like, it'd be fun to night surf. And so we, we went out in the boat and we had lights and uh, we were doing the whole thing and, and uh, Ben had just gone surfing and we were switching, Tom was gonna go surfing and um, we were switching them out and we were at this unique spot in the lake. And if I could show you a map, I would. I probably should have, but um, it was near the farthest boat ramp at the edge of the lake, 10 o'clock at night, dark, beautiful, quiet. And the one thing we were worried about was the ranger, because he's not into that. So um, John and I were looking around, we saw headlights, and we're like, oh man, that, that, that could be the ranger. 
And the, the headlights kind of came down the boat ramp, and I'm like, oh, for sure, that's the ranger. No one, no one comes down the boat ramp forward at night unless they're really mad at you. But it wasn't the ranger. It was Katie. We hadn't met her yet. She drove her car right into the lake. And her, we saw the headlights go right into the lake, and we're about 500 yards away. And we decided we need to go see what's going on. And so we drive the boat. By the time we got to Katie, her car was about 50 feet away from shore and sinking. And she's a young gal, and I, we thought that maybe she had a kid in the car. We jumped out. Um, the car wasn't sinking as fast. The Ford, Ford Tauruses float for a while, just FYI. So if you need a, a floating vehicle, like gives you a good minute and a half or so. Um, but by the time we got over there, there was water up to her hips, and uh, we proceeded, four of us, to push this car back towards shore onto the boat ramp, which I've never done before. I don't know if you pushed a car in a lake before, but it was pretty wild. We got Katie out of the car, and um, Katie's day had not gone as good as ours. Katie was trying to kill herself. She... Um, she was uh, really battling depression and some addiction. And we didn't know her whole story. We still don't know her whole story. Um, but as fate would have it, I don't like saying fate, but as God orchestrated it, there is no way that we would have seen Katie unless we were being illegal. <laughs> There's no way. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes God helps you to do things that are illegal. <laughs> you like where my theology is going on this, right? Driving, the, sometimes you should drive in the shoulder, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or down off ramps, right, babe? Uh, on ramps, that's what I meant. That's a different story. There's literally, we're sitting around the fire afterwards, just amazed. We were, I mean, I've camped there for years, never been out there at night, never. And this happened to be at this one specific spot to see the headlights through a canyon wall that was narrow. 30 yards this way, 30 yards this way, we wouldn't have seen her. A minute before, a minute later, she would have been underwater. And um, one of the guys reached out uh, to the ranger. The ranger passed our information off to her family. Her family got in touch with us. They were so thankful. I mean, we were just being idiots. We, were <laughs> we got a chance to write Katie a letter. And I'm gonna close with this letter. I'm gonna read the whole thing. Uh, I didn't think I was gonna do this, but... Katie, we, uh, we don't believe in circumstances, I wrote. We believe in a God who's always moving and is always loving and forgiving. And there are too many circumstances around us being out on the water at just the right moment to see you. In fact, I just shared with her about what I just shared with you, uh, you know, two minutes in either direction. And I wrote, you living and breathing today is a real miracle. And you need to know how much you are loved by your family and now by all of us. We don't really know you, but strangely, you're more special to us than you realize. And I said, there's no judging coming from us, only deep gratitude. 
because in all honesty, and not to sound too religious or weird, we believe that you are being pursued by a loving God who wants to see you, who wants you to see his greater plan and purpose for your life, to live whole and free and full of joy in life. And there's more here that I won't get into. And I was thinking about this story. And if you were to tell me, hey, you're gonna run into some drug addict addicted suicide person today, um, I'd be like, whatever. I, like, like, I, you know, those, I, you know, in my mind, you just categorize people and you would write them off. But we met Katie. We met her. We got to spend time with her on the boat ramp waiting for everybody to show up. And there's whole groups of people that I'm good at writing off and avoiding and getting on the ship and going to Tarshish. <laughs> whole groups. And I'm a pastor and I'm illegal and at night on the lake, you know, I'm like, there's whole groups of people that I would like to write off and get rid of and not even think about and not even worry about. And my guess is you're like Jonah and you're like me. What would it look like if we began to lean in a little bit more about who God's grace is actually for? Is it the people you think they deserve it or they're not so bad or there's a lot here. There's a lot here for us to wrestle with. There's a lot here to transform us and challenge us. And that's what happens when we do that. So I'm gonna pray. I'd like for you to just leave with these things on your mind and your heart. Um, talk to the folks at the WizKids table, okay? Have some donuts. Um, but let this mess with you. And as I pray, we're actually gonna <laughs> do something we didn't do before. We're gonna pass our offering because I'm pretty good at forgetting stuff like that. Let me pray and then um, stick around and and give if you'd like. Heavenly Father.